teaching them. He didn't give up on them when they failed. And I think it's God's patience right now, his restraining hand from judging America. He's patient, long suffering and love, of course, is the fourth virtue or attitude that Paul mentions in this section, bearing with one another in love, which is similar to the idea of patience. Proverbs 19:11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's love doing what's best for the other, seeking the highest good of someone else. First, Peter four, eight says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, that's a crucial virtue right now in the home and in the church. So what else adds to healthy relationships? The second thing that Paul mentions in our passage is hard work. We see that in verse three. Boy, you, you have to work hard in our relationships in the home. That's that's a given, especially marriage. You can't say, you know what, I think I'm going to take a couple months off from working at my marriage. It's really going to go downhill quickly. You've got to work at it. So Paul says, maintain the unity of the spirit. In the NIV, it's translated, make every effort. And the U is implied. You make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. But it's not in the flesh. It isn't something we try harder to make happen. Notice it's a work of the spirit, the unity of the spirit. Unity is a spiritual work of the Holy Spirit within you. We don't create it. The spirit does in the bond of peace. And that's accomplished on the cross. Colossians 1:20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross, Christ's cross brings peace. Are you struggling in a relationship today? Maybe think of that person for a moment, maybe someone at work. Someone in the neighborhood. And they're almost becoming an enemy. Here's what I want you to do. Picture yourself and that person together kneeling at the foot of the cross. Both of you looking up to Jesus, both of you sinners, both of you needing the blood of Jesus to help reconcile and heal and cleanse you. Christ gives peace in relationship. Ask him for that. What's the third thing that helps us have healthy relationships in our home and church? And that's believing rightly to believe rightly verses four through six. Unity comes when Christians dedicate themselves to the pursuit of truth. That brings unity. Common beliefs unify us as Christians. I know when I come in here, it's so strengthening to me when you're out in the world all week, as many of you are. And there's that different mindset, a worldly, unsaved mindset. When you come together with other Christians, it strengthens you because you think I'm not crazy. Here are a bunch of other like minded people that believe like me. And that helps. The Bible is our truth source. I must read it. I encourage you daily to be in the word and interpret it rightly. Now, I have to admit and do readily. There are differences among Christians. We look out there. There's all kinds of different denominations, but that doesn't bother me. We agree on 98 percent of the things. 
The statements found in verses four through six define us as Christians and differentiate us from unbelievers. They're profound realities, deep truths that make us one. So doctrine is important. Believing rightly these things brings unity. It helps us remember we have so much in common. Paul mentions seven things here. I call them seven ones because they're unifying one body. If you wanted to do a deeper dive into that concept of one body, first Corinthians 12, the church is like a human body. It's one body with many parts. Each part makes the whole. We're interconnected. If one part of my body is sick, it makes my whole body sick. If one part is hurting, the whole body hurts. Another way to think of the church is as an orchestra. All the members, all of us, we are part of an orchestra. We play different instruments and the Holy Spirit is the conductor. We're one spirit. We believe in one spirit, the third member of the divine trinity, the Holy Spirit, equal with the father and son, each having different roles. The role of the Holy Spirit is to dwell inside the believer. So if I hurt another Christian, I hurt the Holy Spirit. If I sin. That hurts the Holy Spirit within. If I hate another Christian, that grieves the Holy Spirit within me. Thirdly, or see one hope. Salvation in scriptures are hope, as is the second coming of Jesus Christ. I love Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And grammatically, God and Savior, Jesus Christ are the same there. Look around. We're going to spend eternity with each other. I like this little saying to live above with the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know. Well, that's another story. We're going to be with Christians in heaven of different races from different countries, different denominations. And that's going to be great. Heaven is not going to be segregated to serve your tastes. D is one Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. No one else. Acts 4:12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only in Jesus. He alone died for your sins. Christians believe this. We believe he died and rose again. Never compromise this truth. There's a lot of compromising, sadly, going on in the church right now with doctrines like the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Salvation is only in Jesus, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the father but by me. The E there is one faith. And that can either mean personal faith in Jesus Christ or more likely the faith, which is Christianity. And that's how Jude uses it. 
Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The F is one baptism. Now, of course, Christian groups do disagree on how it's administered, but we all agree that it's very important. Jesus himself was baptized and he commanded his followers to be baptized in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism identifies us as Christians. It doesn't make us one. Only our faith in Jesus does that. It's like a wedding ring. It shows the world that I'm married. Baptism shows the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. So obey Christ's command to be baptized. And G, one God. That truth sets Christianity apart from most religions in world history, which were polytheistic, the belief in many gods. Along with Christianity, of course, Judaism and Islam are monotheistic, one God. So who is God? Paul says God and father. He's our daddy. He's the creator. Not all gods are the same or we all worship the same God. That's bogus. There's one God who is over all. He's king. He's sovereign. He's ruler. He's judge. He's omnipotent. He's through all. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's in all. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. He's God. So we believe these truths about God, and that helps us stay unified. So before we close this morning, we got to get real for a moment, okay? Do Christians ever disagree? Yeah, they do. Do Christians ever have disunity? Yeah, they do. I can remember pastoring in Canton in the 90s, Canton, Ohio. I believe there was a church in Akron. I just remember reading in it, probably the Akron Beacon Journal, about a church there that was going through a split. But rather than one group leaving the church, both groups decided to stay in the same building. So the second group hired their own pastor. So now there were two pastors of this one church, and they put a second pulpit up on the front and both preachers preached at the same time. One would get a loud, a little bit loud. And then the other one guy, he would start preaching louder so his group could hear. Then the other group brought a, brought a louder sound system so it would be amplified more. Can you believe this? There was actually physical fights that took place. And the only reason this was an article in the newspaper was the police got called out on one such fist fight going on in the church. So, yes. Christians disagree with one another. In Acts 15, 1 to 2, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So we have our first church council that took place in Jerusalem. And it was to settle differences 
between churches. In this case, it was should Gentiles be circumcised? And Paul said no. And Paul's view won the day. Acts 15, 36 to 41. Let's read that. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Church leaders disagree. We should always try and work it out. And sometimes in spite of our best efforts, it doesn't work out. But the results can still be good. Do you see what happened here? New ministry teams formed instead of one ministry team. Now there are two new churches form and the church is blessed. We understand that ministry teams in churches don't all last forever. They have seasons of ministry. They work together and the work ends and people move on to new challenges. Christians can go their separate ways and it can be okay. Now, we have another situation in Philippians 4, where Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Church can have conflict between people within the church. And we see that here. With these two ladies, we don't know what the issue was, but Paul is urging the leaders of the church to help them come together and work it out. In some other churches in the New Testament, we see that division was caused by false teachers and they were rebuked and sent packing. And the faithful told to stay clear of these teachers of heresies. Leaders have an obligation to protect the flock And false teaching must be addressed quickly and dealt with firmly. Sometimes disunity can be resolved and sometimes it can't. But we must make every effort. And I would urge you and me, let us not be the one that causes division. Work it out with those that you have an issue with. And when that fails, call for the leaders of the church who will come alongside with you. Because church unity is so important. Not uniformity, unity. We can't have our differences and that's okay. Whatever effort it takes, it's worth the effort. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just how practical Paul is whenever he is writing to a church to help them work through things so that there is unity. And Holy Spirit, you are the unifier. It's a work of the spirit. We ask that you would continue to bless our church and our homes with unity as we work together for your purposes. And Lord, as we move into a time of communion, the Lord's Supper, we thank you that that's something we're taking together 
this meal that we're sharing, that you're offering it to us. So we thank you for your spirit here. We ask that you would feed us as we take the bread and take the cup. We will be strengthened within to continue to live this Christian life. We ask your blessing on this time in Jesus name. Amen. So let me give just a few instructions, practical tips as, as we're taking the communion, especially if you're new or haven't been a part of a communion here. You're going to be invited by the ushers to row by row to come from the outside up to the station that's on your side of the sanctuary. You'll be offered the bread and the cup or the uh, combination little one. If you would prefer that, that's up there as well. Then you could come down to the altar and take it or, or right up front or back to your seat. But go back down the middle aisle. And it's the Lord's Supper. It's not our churches. Just because you're not a member here, that's okay. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this table is open for you. And if coming up and standing and walking is difficult for you, just let the usher know as he comes by and we'll get the elements to you.